As we drove over here, the gas prices were quite a bit less than Delaware. Uh, in Delaware yesterday, I paid $3.99. I saw $3.69 here in Maryland. And so even though Pastor Hogan has done a lot of bad stuff, he at least did something good. And he lowered the taxes. And, and you know, the uh, taxes in America are really bad. And uh, in, the book, in the Bible, the king of Israel was said to have oppressed the children of Israel with 10% taxes. And the slaves in Egypt under Joseph had 20% taxes. Well, what do we have here in America? It's getting back like 50%. And because, you know, every gallon of gas you buy, it's a lot of tax in it. And we see that by him rolling back part of it. And, uh, you know, they think they can spend trillions here and trillions there. You know how much a trillion is? It's a million millions. That's a lot of money. And they think they can just put that into the money supply and not have inflation. Well, inflation comes from the money supply getting bigger and the value not getting bigger. And the Democrats act like they can't understand where inflation came from. Well, it came from what they've been doing with all the spending. And so they say that what's the cruelest tax of all is inflation. And so uh, we didn't always have those kind of taxes in the United States. Well, let's go back to 2 Kings. We've been going through the book of 2 Kings, and we're in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 19. And we've been going through the book of 2 Kings. We're up to this point, starting with verse 19 of chapter 2 of 2 Kings. And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord seeth, but the water is not, and the ground barren. And he said, Bring me a new cruise, and put salt therein. And they brought it to him. And he went forth unto the spring of the waters, and cast the salt in there, and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he spoke. And so over in the Holy Land, over in Israel, uh, water is a very precious commodity. We kind of take it for granted here in the United States, especially here on the East Coast. Uh, but it's a very precious commodity. It's mainly a desert area over there and with sparse rainfall. And, you know, here in the United States, where we are, when you look around, you, you, you see mostly green. In Israel, you see mostly brown. And uh, I've known a couple of people that went over there and visited, and uh, uh, my sister Claudia went over there, and she came back saying that you, you can't imagine how many rocks are over there. And everywhere is rocky, rock, rock, rock. No wonder they had stoning for the death penalty back then. And then we had Ira's brother went over there from Brazil, and he said, well, that land of Israel is nothing special. It's all mainly dry, and Brazil's a lot better. And so here, 
with Elisha, it was a big thing, the water there. And so over there, when they wanted to build a city, they had a couple of requirements for building a city. And they had to have water, they had to have a hill for defense, and they had to have an area to grow crops nearby uh, to establish a city. And so these people said to Elisha they wanted to establish their city, their town there. Uh, but the problem is there wasn't any water. And so, uh, you know, but over there in Israel, there's not that many of those types of lake locations. And so, uh, so over the years, they've always built the cities on the same spot. And they got to have big hills there as the ruins of one city were there, and they'd build on top of it, it'd be ruined, build on top of it, and they'd have big hills called tells. And so here we have, uh, they wanted to build the city, the water was not. And so what did Elisha do? He threw salt in there, and he said, Thus saith the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do when we come to the pulpit. We're supposed to say, Thus saith the Lord. And he said, thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. And so here was a miracle, a miracle that was done through throwing salt in. You know, the Pentecostals today, they talk like uh, we're supposed to do all the miracles that people did in the Bible. You know, they did them in the Bible, we're supposed to do them. And uh, do you think we could go out to a bad fountain and throw some salt in and have it be healed? I don't think so. That was a miracle for one place and one time. And uh, so those waters were healed. You know, there's a missionary that went to the South Sea Islands, and on these South Sea Islands, they uh, uh, don't have very much water, so he decided to dig a well. Uh, but it's an interesting story how he did that. He dug the well, and he made it look like it was a miracle that was going to happen with digging the well. And all the natives were saying, ooh and ah, and he said, and he knew he was getting close to water, and he said, tomorrow the Lord's going to give us water. And he made it like he had a big miracle from the Lord uh, for the well. And that was kind of a taking advantage of the natives there, and I'm sure when they learned better later, they didn't appreciate how he kind of took advantage of them, making it into a miracle. But anyway, water is an important thing, and God does give water. And God, through history, has had uh, droughts where no water is, and the crops fail and all of that. And so this was not a temporary miracle. You see that that fountain of waters was healed unto this day. Unto this day. You know, a lot of times with the miracles of the Pentecostals, of course, I always like to talk a lot about the Pentecostals because I was down in Brazil, and the country is like uh, majority Pentecostal down there. But anyway, uh, when they heal people, a lot of times it's just temporarily. But when God heals somebody, it's permanent. And that's what we have here. Then we go on here to verse 23. And he went up from thence unto Bethel. And as he was going up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him and said unto him, Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. And he turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two she-bears out of the wood and tear forty and two children of them. And he went from thence to Mount Carmel and from thence he returned to Samaria. 
So here's a very interesting story. Elisha is going along there, and all of a sudden it says young children came out and made fun of him. They mocked him. They mocked his bald head. And I don't think this is, these were, you know, like real little children. They were probably teenagers. The Bible used that, uses that kind of terminology for uh, teenagers or for young people or youth. And anyway, so the youths came out and they mocked and made fun of him. And then Elisha cursed them and these two bears came out and killed 42 of them. Now, do you think that was a pretty uh, extreme penalty there? Well, it was an extreme penalty, but it was a just penalty. And, uh, you know, it teaches us a lesson. And God has these accounts that teach us lessons. And this teaches us the lesson of reverence. It teaches us the lesson that the things of the Lord are very important. And you know, first of all, people think kids can get away with anything, but they shouldn't be able to get away with anything. In Brazil, literally, kids get away with murder. They can murder somebody and they'll get let off because they're a kid, because they're a teenager. And the teenagers know that. And so they just get away with literally murder. Uh, but it shouldn't be that way. You know, kids are accountable just like Adults are accountable. Well, how is this with Elisha cursing them? You know, there's a, there's a time for cursing and there's a time for blessing. And this was, God wanted to show an example of reverence and what is serious in the things of the Lord. And you know, uh, uh, they asked Jesus, uh, should we call down fire on these people? And Jesus said, no, you don't know what manner of spirit you have. That was at that time, uh, but here was a lesson. And of course, even in the New Testament, remember Ananias and Sapphira, they were stuck dead right on the spot to show how serious lying is. And uh, sin is serious. And you know, we have to have reverence with the things of the Lord. When we come together in worship, we have to be reverent. People like to talk about, oh, well, hey, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us how to worship God. So we can just worship God any, any way we like. Well, that's not true. The Bible says we're supposed to be, worship him in reverence. It tells us we're supposed to worship him in spirit and in truth. It tells us things about God's worship. And reverence is very important. And you know, today... People like to trivialize the things of God. They like to make light of them. I went to a service down in Brazil, and they had a program down in Brazil. This was at uh, Ira's brother's church. And what they had is a bunch of clowns there, people dressed up as clowns, giving the message. Well, what kind, does that show us that the things of the Lord are serious? No. It's the exact opposite. And then you have, you know, they make a joke out of the things of the Lord with their mimes and things like that. And you know, it's, they, they do these mimes and it takes them an hour to do what you could say in five minutes. And it's, uh, you know, the thing is, is that it all tends to make light of the things of the Lord. And we need to be reverent, reverent.
And, you know, uh, uh, it go, comes down even to our dress when we come to church. We don't just dress any old way when we come to church. It's serious business. It's something serious. And we want to approach it seriously. And the Bible talks about many times about being sober-minded. Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil is out there. And it's serious, the things of the Lord. And you know, it's, it's all right to make a joke once in a while, make a joke from the pulpit once in a while. Uh, but you know, we don't want to do too much of that. It comes to foolish jesting. The Bible warns against foolish jesting. Uh, you know, uh, a church over there in Delaware that we drive by all the, way, all the time on Route 13, they had a sign up there a week or two ago, and it said, a Christian comedian is going to be here and laugh all night. Well, you know, that's, that's making light of the things of the Lord, really. And what's the com- comedian going to make comedy about? He's going to make comedy about the things in the church, about the Christians, about this and that. And, and it's uh, making light of the things of the Lord. Uh, foolish jesting. And if you're going to laugh all night, foolish jesting is definitely going to come into that. That you're going to have over and over. It's just like uh, uh, the Bible tells us, in the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. In the multitude of jokes, there wanteth not sin too. And so we have to be careful about that. The things of the Lord, and there's so many examples in the Bible about how serious the things of the Lord are. Remember Uzzah back in the Old Testament. They, took, they were bringing the ark into Jerusalem up on the cart. The oxen shook the cart, and Uzzah put up his hand to keep the ark from, from falling and touched it and he was stricken dead right on the spot. Well, that seems like a pretty uh, severe penalty for doing that. But God was showing that his commands are serious. God plays seriously. I remember my dad, he's passed on many years now, but he used to talk about God plays hardball. He doesn't play softball. And, you know, he judges sin, and Uzzah, uh, didn't follow the commandments of God. Of course, the whole David didn't follow the commandments of God there, and the people there didn't follow them, because they were never supposed to put the ark up on a cart. It was ordained that it was supposed to be carried with poles. And uh, they violated that, and that led to Uzzah losing his life. Well, that brings us to communion today. And of course, we're going through Second Kings, And this is a good passage when we come to communion because, you know, sin is serious. Sin is very serious, and people make light of it. And, you know, uh, uh, we talked about here in Sunday school, all my friends are going to be in hell and all that. Well, you know, sin is very serious, and we can't make light of it. And the problem is we always make rationalizations for our sin. And I ran across a couple good uh, quotes about sin recently. Here's one from R.C. Sproul. I'm not sure I uh, agree with everything he says, but anyway, he has one good thing here. He says, we possess a consuming passion for sin that marks our fallen state. 
We really want sin. And it says part of the reason for this passion is that sin is very attractive to us. It's very attractive. And then he says, by nature, we find our highest pleasure in sin. And you know, there are all kinds of different sins that we can have. Lots of them. And the Bible says that, uh, you know, I think each of us has a besetting sin or two. And the Bible talks about that sin, lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And that sin really easily besets us. And it doesn't take anything for that sin to beset us. And then another uh, quote that I had here uh, from a guy, Van Dixhorn. But anyway, he, he says, sin has a shelf life, a shelf life. And then even a lingering potency. And then he says that perhaps exceeds even the devil's expectations. I kind of doubt that. But anyway, it has a shelf life. And you know, we can put away a sin, our besetting sin. We can put it up on the shelf. And then it doesn't take any time at all for us to grab it back off the shelf and be practicing it. Or we might stay away from that sin for years. But that sin is still sitting there waiting for us. And it'll come back at the slightest provocation. It's just like an alcoholic. It doesn't take much to get him back into alcohol. Just one drink or whatever it is. And it doesn't take much to get us back into sin. And so sin is very serious. And so as we come to communion this morning, let's remember the lesson here of those 42 children that got ripped up in pieces, that the things of the Lord are serious. And that sin is serious. Let's examine ourselves, examine ourselves, whether we uh, have some sin in our lives that we need to get rid of. And we all need to be continuing, continually examining our lives. We're not going to be perfect on this earth. But we have to keep striving against sin and uh, try to please the Lord with our whole heart and mind and soul and body. Well, let's bow in prayer as we come to communion. O oh Lord, we pray that thou would bless this thought, these thoughts to our hearts. And O oh Lord, help us to stay away from sin. Help us to see how serious it is. Help us not to take it back off the shelf. Help us not to make rationalizations for it. And O oh Lord, just help us to see the great seriousness of the things of God. And O oh Lord, help us to be careful in what we say and do. And bless this communion to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.